In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Inglestad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Inglestad, here as always with co-host, advocate, and happy 40th episode anniversary to Mike Graham. Hooray! We <laughs> made it. We're celebrating 40. They, they said it couldn't be done, and we're still here. I know. It's, it's honestly, like, crazy and... Also, the fact that we're super excited about number 40 when 50 is just around the corner. Well, I'm a proponent for ce- celebrating every milestone. Well, I feel like 40 is like a big deal. The, the next milestone is never guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, though, think about that. 40 episodes, they're all an hour or more. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine anyone listening to my voice for 40 hours. <laughs> And we've only missed one week, and that was on purpose, so people could take a break from us during the holidays. That's right. Yeah, so go go us, and thank you to all our amazing listeners and subscribers. Yes, go us. We're the best. You all are why we keep doing this show, because if nobody listened, right. we, we wouldn't talk to each other this much. That's very true, and I will say, though, at the, at the beginning when no one listened, uh, we still did talk to each other, but I think at this point it would be like, no one's still listening. Well, we had some <laughs> listeners. We had at least our, our closest family and friends who we must <laughs> shout out from time to time. Right, I think we had like 14. Anyway. <laughs> well, every podcast starts somewhere, so that's where we started, and, and to move on to what we're talking about today, or at least what's in the news. Yeah, one of our first episodes. Yeah, exactly. In the news, Mike, this week, which we were tweeting about a little bit, Netflix, um, in anticipation of 13 Reasons Why season four, season whatever the newest season is, coming out later this year, announced that they have taken down the controversial suicide depiction of of the main character, Hannah, right? Hannah? Yeah. They Hannah. edited it. Yes. They edited it to not be seen as graphically as it was. Right. So I'd like to just read um, a little bit from their announcement so we can talk about it, and then we'll jump into today's episode. Yep. Okay. Do it. So as we prepare to launch season three later this summer, we've been mindful about the ongoing debate around the show. So on the advice of medical experts, including Dr. Christine Moutier, Chief Medical Officer at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, we've decided with creator Brian Yorkie and the producers of 13 Reasons Why to edit the scene in which Hannah takes her own life from season one. So um, they don't really go into the uh, the logic behind it more. It's just sort of finally acknowledging, I think, what a lot of people have been saying since it was initially portrayed, which is that this is probably too much. They're telling us, though, that season three is just around the corner, right? Yeah, they're doing it as, as an announcement. Yes. Yeah. So it, this is marketing. This is marketing 101. This is a controversial show. They play off controversy. Yeah. And... Listen, here's what I was going to say. If they mean this, it's too late. You know what I mean? It's it's too late by a mile. They they let it happen in the first place. It, the whole show though, it's not just that scene. It's the whole show. It's uh it's in my view 
irresponsible, like making a fun mystery around a suicide, not including mental health, like just being like, what, what's going on with Hannah? You know, Mm -hmm. like really what's deep down going on? Is she depressed? Does she have anxiety? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then I said in our 13 reasons why episode, when that scene came towards the end of the series, I, I was unable to look at it, you know? Oh yeah. I just, it was so horrible. So I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you. It's not too late because this show is still incredibly popular and it's going to go on air and people are going to watch it. So if this is just one step that they take in acknowledging the more complex mental health issues, I mean, isn't that why we're doing this show, Mike, to hopefully have an impact on either the 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 watchers and listeners and readers. But I, I. even to a larger extent on the people who make things and portray things in a way that we want them to be portrayed. I think we want them to be honored and and portrayed in a realistic and empathetic way. So if this is a recognition of that and a step in the right direction, even if we're upset that it took so long, we can still be happy that it's happening. So you're kind of saying that like they are, they're learning, they're learning a lesson and applying that to what's happening now, as opposed to what they knew, what, four years ago? Yes, exactly. So it's not like, um, well, I guess actually it is. Adam, did you, did you see the other news that came out around about Toy Story? Uh Uh-uh. So Toy Story 4 just came out a couple weeks ago. And in preparation for that, uh, Disney announced that they cut a deleted scene from Toy Story 2 because it had uh, Prospector Pete was being like a misogynistic person towards some of the Barbies and like an extra deleted scene that they had. <laughs> so they, they announced that they were deleting that entirely and that they would not be on the streaming platform that comes out later this year. So it's the same kind of idea. Like It's respectable, though, here. Hey, you know, we know people are excited about the next thing we're putting out. So we're just acknowledging that the thing that we did a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago... That wasn't okay. So now we're making up for it. Yeah. So look, I mean, even if it's in the spirit of getting more eyeballs and more ears for for people to consume their content, we still want that to happen. So it's true. So yeah. And like you said, it's not too late. You can apply that to the fact that there's people that haven't seen the first season yet. Mm -hmm. So some people had to witness that. Yeah. And it was maybe not great for them, but, you know, people in the future won't have to see that. Uh, I really just wish there was a way to also go back and add like a therapy session or or offer any sort of mental health explanation. As so, I don't know. You know me. I'm that whole thing angered me a lot. But it's good. It's good that we're angry. It's good that we used our voice to express that anger, and we joined a chorus of people that contributed to this being changed. So we can be happy that that is happening, and and whatever very, very small part we have to do with that. So that's right. Yay. 40th, 40th episode. Yay. <laughs> change. <40! laughs> yay. Change in how mental health uh, is portrayed in uh, media. So. Yeah. Okay. And we got to get into the episode before we do. We always want to let everyone know that uh, if you want to get on our Facebook mental health discussion and chat group, you can go and search pop psych one hundred and one mental health chat and join us there. And also, uh, if you are wanting to help the show out, you can go to our website to do that. And that is poppsych101.com slash pod support. And with that, let's get into it. Let's do it. By any measure, Marty Markowitz was a success 
He had an Ivy League diploma, a law degree, his own business, and plenty of money. But when he hit 38, he found himself feeling seriously overwhelmed. His rabbi recommended a therapist he knew, who had an office on Manhattan's east side. I go into his office, which was, you know, a modestly furnished office with a desk and a chair and a couch. The therapist's name was Dr. Isaac Hirschkoff, but he told Marty to call him Ike. He was a young, handsome man with a round face, a close-cropped beard, and curly black hair. He was dressed casually in an open-collar shirt and shorts. I sat down right across from him, and we looked at each other, and uh, he said, okay, why are you here? Marty had seen a therapist before, the kind who would listen while you lay down on the couch and talk about your dreams. This therapist was different. His uh, modus operandi was basically, I'm your pal, tell me what's bothering you, and let's take it from there. Marty spent the whole session laying out his problems. He told Ike how his father and mother had recently died, how he'd inherited the family business, how he was having a hard time dealing with his new responsibilities. When he'd finished, Marty says Ike looked at him and said, I'm going to take you on as a patient. And I said, okay, nice. Not only was Ike taking him on as a patient, but he made Marty Veteran journalist Joe Nusser's neighbor in the Hamptons was a therapist named Ike. Ike counted celebrities and Manhattan elites as his patients. He'd host star-studded parties at his eccentric vacation house. But one summer, Joe discovered that Ike was gone and everything he thought he'd known about his neighbor and the house next door was wrong. Bum, bum. So you set that up beautifully because you, you didn't get into the, the crazy, ridiculous stuff that happens in this story. Um, obviously, we're well, talking basically, about... Basically, I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> right. So uh, you did the setup for... We're, we're, we're doing a little podception today, Mike. We're talking about right. the, sh the shrink next door. We've never done something like this. We haven't. So we figured, you know, 40th episode, big, big milestone. Let's mix it up a little bit. <laughs> so uh, you won't be surprised to hear that this podcast was recommended to me by a whole bunch of people. Uh, the first being my dad, actually. So shout out to my dad. And I actually just like coincidentally listened to it on my own. Well, you're a big true crime guy. Love it. I love yeah. yeah, like true stories that are also written in a narrative. So this was like I was searching for a podcast like that and this popped up. Gotcha. And then it was also like, ooh, a, a, a psychiatrist. I definitely got to listen to that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we start listening. And it was funny because in the first episode, we start telling the backstory of these characters. I found myself kind of liking and even to a certain extent relating to Ike. Uh, we'll just call him Ike. He's the, he's the psychiatrist. Psych no, psychotherapist. are you serious? Well, okay, but that literally within the first like 10 minutes of the introduction. So before we got to all the crazy stuff that Ike does. Okay. Because he's introduced as this very uh, friendly, casual, like he has this, you know, uh, private practice in Manhattan. You know, he's casually dressed. He helps make uh, Marty very comfortable. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, we're going to um, we're going to help you get everything that you want. We're going to help you work on all these problems. And from that introduction, you're like, oh, like, 
Yeah. What a what a nice story. What could go wrong here? Um, he's got like parties going on. Yeah. And everyone's coming over and hanging out and having a good time. Right. So we we have. I had no reason to to think that, and I think this is why this podcast was so uh, enthralling to people that it's a great setup for a story. Yeah. Yeah. Because it seems so normal, and just to give you the gist, uh, this is told from who once was a New York Times journalist, Joe Nucera, who actually lived next door to Ike. It's a true story. Well, next uh, door to Marty. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yes, he lived next door to Marty, and uh, Ike was also there. And and the reason why Ike was there is because, because he had been in Marty's life for 30 years as his psychiatrist. And over the course of those 30 years, some things happened to Marty, including basically separating himself from his entire family, including his sister, uh, writing Ike and Ike's wife into his will and giving them access to his uh, like secret cash in his Swiss bank account. He lived at the house that was next to Joe. However, no one knew it was Marty's house because Ike's name was on the front door. So there's a lot going on here that, that uh, is portrayed as Ike, basically taking somebody and controlling them over a course of 30 years. And the cover of the podcast cover is even a hand, like a puppet, uh, like hand. puppet yeah. tear hand. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the gist of what happens. Yes. And it, it, there's a whole course of, of events, but basically it's, it's a psychiatrist that, that is doing a lot of things that are questionable. And that's what we want to talk about. Yes. So we want to talk about it both from the, uh, the Ike perspective of like, how and why would a, a person who's trusted with the care of a patient do this? And we also want to talk about it from the perspective of Marty, the patient of yeah. how could someone, um, you know, I think the question that I've read on the internet is like, how could someone let this go on for so long? Not, not right. because I think that there's some initial stuff that's sort of understandable, but then yeah. obviously it escalates to a point way, way beyond that. Yeah, and there's a lot of one-sidedness to the whole podcast. Right, right. So we should we should point out um Ike I think is is offered an opportunity to state his case on the podcast, but you know, after an initial interview that somehow was lost, I think the the Joe Joe says he loses yeah, the, yeah, the audio. Yeah, the tape of it, of it was disappeared. Yeah. Um, other than that, we never hear from Ike. All the letters that Ike wrote to Joe were reenacted uh by voice actors. So we never really get Ike's perspective other than occasional letters. Yeah. And just to say they were like totally like medium level uh, voice actors. Terrible. Sure. (laughs) They were like about as good as my synopsis. So, yeah. Uh, So, Ryan, I did have a question for you. Like what was early in it? Like you said, we get set up and, and we really don't know what's going on. Ike comes off as just a friendly dude. But what was the first thing for you that made you raise your eyebrow and then did you kind of see where this was going once that happened if you can remember well i, I the story is so outrageous that was there was no point in which i saw where this was going <laughs> this was there was never this is never a story not only have i heard before but i've never heard even heard anything like it before obviously it's unethical and there are degrees of which therapists or psychiatrists do things that could be seen as unethical but this goes so far and away beyond that, that it was just, it was hard to believe. And I think that's why people did find themselves start coming back to Marty of like, how much of this is true? Right. How much of this is is Marty's fault? You know, 
so yeah, so I think the, the first thing that I started to notice was just kind of the way Marty talked about the, the language that Ike would use with him. You know, what might have initially sounded like Ike trying to get Marty to stand up for himself over time kind of became this thing where he was trying to convince Marty that basically everyone was out to get him. Yeah, it, it's because that, that was Marty's big issue, right? Is he was like a worrier. And his thing was, if he didn't have advice from somebody, like Marty was incapable of making a decision without somebody telling him what to do. Right. And it almost seems like for Ike, it was like started out as an opportunistic kind of thing. Well, I guess... And and so throughout this episode, I'm probably going to be coming to the defense of Ike. And I want yeah. people to know that that's from the standpoint of I don't want people to make assumptions either about therapists or about therapy. So um, when I'm defending Ike, it's it's not defending the ultimate things that Ike did, but more in a therapeutic relationship, what is sort of within normal range. Let's right. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Like all these things compiled, make, make the, the pie, the Ike pie. Yes. But, but each slice doesn't necessarily do it. That was the. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No more pie analogies. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, so an example is, and this is in, in an article that I'll probably reference throughout the podcast, but basically Ike would say things to Marty like, you can't handle the truth. You're passive aggressive. You can't handle confrontation. You're going to screw up your business and lose customers. So he's very confrontational as a therapist, and that's not so uncommon. Mm. But it starts, it goes from, you know, pushing Marty to be protective of himself to starting to push Marty to push everyone else in his life away. So that's for me when it really starts to cross the line because if Marty, you know, to, to get into one of the initial biggest things that Marty does sort of at Ike's request or, or, or suggestion, he essentially cuts his sister out of his life. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. Like, that's a really specific one, which is like, like we said, we don't have the full side of anyone's story. Really. Is there ever an instance when uh, it's okay for a psychiatrist to say, or therapist to say, this is going to be better for you. Like maybe someone really is toxic to someone's life. And, but I mean, I think I've heard you even say that you would never suggest that. Well, yeah. So, and, and, and this is a larger discussion that we'll have throughout today's episode as well is, you know, where's the line for a therapist between advice, suggestion, feedback, um, encouragement, and all these sorts of things, and then manipulation, right? At the sort of right. highest end. Now there's manipulation for what, what a therapist might feel like is the patient's best interest. But then we have Ike who clearly, you know, at, at worst manipulation was to Ike's financial benefit. Yeah. Right down the road. So it starts off with this where he sort of plants these seeds that, uh, Marty's sister is out for his money. Which wasn't true at all. No. no. As far as their recollection, her, her side of the story is. It was not, she just, they were working together at, at their family business and out of nowhere, Marty just started changing on her. Right. You know, and, and to get back to your, your question, you know, would I ever tell a person to cut someone out of their life? If it was clear that a person was not just toxic, but abusive, 
that's that's sort of part A. And part B, that the patient already showed some inclination or awareness that setting boundaries in that relationship would be to their benefit, then mm -hmm. I might, uh, let's say, support that inclination. But I would never come right out and say, you need to cut your sister out of your life, or you need to fire your sister, which is essentially one of the things that Marty does, that Ike's recommendation. Yeah. So there's recommendation, then there's feedback, and then there's this sort of like, basically telling your patient what to do, which I just think is a really slippery slope um, towards manipulation and towards the patient, frankly, relying on you as a therapist. Well, I've even heard you say that you don't necessarily give advice, like quote unquote. Well, I try to be careful of it, to say the least. And, and maybe, Mike, I can turn the tables on you with this. I mean, because every patient's different. Do you feel like you're, when you're in therapy, are you seeking out are you seeking a person to tell you what to do? Maybe sometimes you are. Uh, I would say rarely to tell okay. me what to do. Sure. I just want them to talk to me. That would be the main thing. Like, I've had therapists that don't talk, and I right. don't like that. Right. Because then I just start going, <laughs> mm -hmm. like, running around in my head and wrapping in circles, and I'd rather just have a conversation. Right. So the extent that you want them to talk is that you want... A conversation. So that includes feedback. That includes, sure. you know, a back and forth to help you sort through whatever you're yeah. working on, right? Yeah, but I would never take a therapist seriously if they started, like, saying things that were going to direct um, something that actually had, like, real-life results in my life. Sure. Yeah, and so that that's, that's totally fair. I think to reflect experiences that I've had as a therapist, sometimes it's very clear that I'll have a patient who wants me to tell them what to do in a situation. Yeah. And hey, I just want to clarify what I just said. Yeah. Like, I definitely want, like, real life, like, mental health results. <laughs> of course. I meant, like, like, uh, like things in the, not in my brain. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that whole slippery slope or catch-22 thing is, is difficult to navigate. Um, but as a patient... I think something in that I hope will will be sort of we'll be giving our own advice in a sense on yeah. the show today. But the things to look out for is if a therapist says, you know, stuff like you can't handle the truth, you're passive aggressive, you can't handle confrontation, you're going to screw up the business and lose customers. I mean, that's very aggressive. And I would be concerned. I mean, so look, yes, there are patients who might be looking for that sort of confrontation. They want to be challenged. But I just don't think that that that's always the most appropriate uh, way to intervene, frankly. Right. And I think it would be so easy to in like Ike's situation. It just ended up so easy for him to do this with Marty. How can we oversee something like that? Like, how can that be stopped? Because that's such a private thing. Like, no one's recording it. No one's watching it. There would be no way, you know, if somebody decided to do what Ike did. Right. So here's right. This part of the problem, um, you know, in the patient doctor relationship, everything is confidential. If a patient is comfortable with the way they're interacting with their therapist, they're unlikely to make any note of things, even if they, from an outsider perspective, might be really odd. You know, even uh, Marty and Ike having sessions walking outside. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. For a lot of ethics expectations, sessions should happen in an indoor controlled environment. Now, that's not to say that there aren't situations in which an outdoor meeting or setting couldn't be appropriate, but 
this was just the beginning for these two. I mean, it, it started to bleed into, oh, I'll meet you at your office or, oh, well, yeah. you know, I want to see the new building you're building, all this kind of stuff that it, it really turned ugly fast. You know, and Mike, maybe this is a good question for you. Do you do you seek out confrontation? Do you want to be challenged in that sense, in the way that Marty clearly was by Ike? Well, uh, I don't I wouldn't say I seek it out. I wouldn't push it away though. Like if I said something and like the therapist was like, that's not good or that's not going to work for you or something like that. It, I, you know, I would be like, we would talk about it mm -hmm. and, and figure it out. And I would try to explain like my line of thinking. And then I don't know. <laughs> it's like, they might be like, well, that's the mental illness talking. I don't know. Sure. Sure. So there's, there's um, appropriate ways to challenge a patient on things that that might be problematic over time, basically. And I think your your instincts are right, that you'd be able to notice if it was appropriate and that you'd be comfortable with the feedback. And then you'd also be able to notice like, oh, I'm actually, um, now it's feeling borderline insulting. You know, you're calling me yeah. passive aggressive or you're calling me this, you're calling me that. And that's that's kind of a lot to handle. Yeah, right? I'm gonna go into my next therapy session that I have mm -hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a clipboard too Great. And and then like with all the little check boxes yep. like they usually have, and I'm gonna start checking the boxes. Like, Your she's therapist would love that. <laughs> she's anxious. She looks depressed. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's because I think this is also part of the conversation that I am concerned about. You probably and there's there's obviously shades of gray with this, but no patient should be in therapy with the same therapist for thirty years. Really, that's my personal opinion. Why would that be? Well, at a certain point, you have to ask the question, is this therapeutic relationship uh, dependent? So is there is there codependency happening mm. between uh, the patient and the therapist, especially in, in when it gets to the point with uh, Marty, when he's seeing um, Ike multiple times a week, paying out oh, of pocket. Yeah. It's going like two, three times a week and it costs $200 and that was the 80s. And, and to be fair, you know, there are times when you see a patient twice a week, but it's usually when they are a high risk, high risk to themselves yeah. or others or really intense symptoms. And we don't ever really see that with Marty. No. So that it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, to be fair, I have worked with patients um, for even a couple years, but at a certain point, and there's no, you know, specific uh, date range, but at a certain point, you have to ask yourself the question of, are we still being effective? Are we yeah. still, are we still, are we, are we just spinning our wheels here? Cause I think sometimes that's the case is that if you're working with someone for that long, the sessions just kind of bleed into each other and the work is not necessarily progressive. It's just, okay, let's talk about your job that you hate another, for another <laughs> week and, and you know, your relationship that you're unhappy in. And, and that's basically yeah. it. And that's, I don't want to be unempathetic to people whose situations that that might be the case, but if your therapist, if you're having the same conversation with your therapist once a week, for multiple years, you're not making changes, and your therapist, frankly, is not helping you make changes. That yeah, are that's what I was going to say. Progress. There's something here that's not working right uh, completely. If you still feel the need to go back and talk about the same thing, yeah, and at a certain point, it's a therapist's responsibility to bring up this question of would we be better served by either A, you know, changing the approach that we're using in therapy, or B, me referring you to a specialist or a different kind of therapist or a different kind of therapy. 
because the ultimate goal of a therapist should be to put yourself out of business. <laughs> so your right. therapist doesn't need you anymore or that your patient doesn't need you anymore. Yeah, because it's funny, too, because Ike, after all that 30 years was said and done, like I think Joe, the the journalist, had just assumed that that Ike wasn't Marty's therapist for like a number of years. And, and Marty was like, oh, no, you know, he was he was my therapist. till I kicked him out of the house. And it's just like, what? Yeah. So I was going to ask you next. Um, one of the things that starts that started escalating for me uh, with Marty and Ike was when uh, it was noted that that Ike really liked to get pictures with celebrities. Mm. And as you find out through the podcast that um, he did that by using Marty's house as a as, you know, quote unquote, his house like he was party pad, look- his summer party pad. Right. And it was this nice place in the Hamptons and he had like celebrities show up and all that stuff. But it turns out that there was also a whole bunch of his patients going as well. Well, I think it was like less than five, but that's not that, that takes away anything. But that I was feel more... like that's a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, well, I just want to be clear on what the podcast stated. Yeah. I have mixed opinions about this in certain ways. I mean, ways. one is one is terrible. I just want to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> but just to just to be clear on what the podcast reported. Yeah. So your opinion is is pretty obvious. So what I wanted to know from you is, and, and I'll tell you what my mixed opinion is first, and then sure. what I wanted to know from you was, why isn't it okay to do that? Okay. Oh, sure. I just want to. Yeah, yeah, sure. So my mixed opinion being, and if you go back and listen to our episode on Goodwill Hunting, is that sometimes as a patient in therapy, you see your therapist as a friend and it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be such a big deal for me to go to a party in an attendance and say hi like i could let the separation go you know i could mm-hmm. keep it in two different realms now i know not everyone could do that but for me it wouldn't be a big deal on the other hand because not everyone can do that it, it's just you can't do that mm-hmm. like you can't do that so for i don't know like I, i'm torn between it cuz i feel like i feel like you could be friends you know not like everyday friends, but like every three months, like bar- backyard barbecue <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. So the friends term, I guess, I is the the word that I struggle with. It's not that I don't want to be or couldn't be friends with my patients, but that, but that 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 type of relationship doesn't represent what the working relationship of therapy is supposed to look like. Yeah. But to to your point, showing up at the same neighborhood barbecue. Or, um, and this is actually something that I have experienced, um, going to a wedding and seeing one of your patients there should be okay. And frankly, is okay. Except for the fact that therapists then all of a sudden act like they are, have been body snatched and Mm -hmm. are are like, they don't look at you and like, they will not acknowledge you. It's like this, they make it so awkward. Well, yes, yes, we do. We would rather make it awkward in the sense that we were, um, not acknowledging you then uh, blow up your spot, as it were. Right. Because I know, because it's like, if someone else there knew that you were a therapist, yeah, and you walked over and shook my hand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the thing of like, oh, hey, Mike. And then your friends say, oh, uh, who is that? And it's like, uh, oh, uh, d- just nobody. You know, and I know maybe you wouldn't have a problem saying, oh, that's my therapist, but is there'd my, be a lot of people who would. He's my brain guy. Right. <laughs> But, you know, as I hear you talk about it, like, yes, that 
that in theory sounds great, just being able to have that sort of casual relationship. And it's interesting that you bring this up because there was a recent article about small town therapists where this is basically impossible to avoid. Yeah. You know, if you're the one or two therapists in a small town and who knows where, you know, people are going to know you. People are going to know you're the therapist. You're going to yeah. be invited to block parties and you're going to be, you know, around town. You're going to be seen. You're going to be known. So uh, to a certain degree, this stuff is, um, is impossible to avoid. But the, the line that was crossed is that Ike invited his patients to his party. And that's what's not okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. <laughs> also that he let the, I think he had like three girl patients that were like rubbing his shirtless body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's obviously not okay. <laughs> but yeah. So, so to your point, totally okay to have interactions with your therapist, but yes, you should know ethically, we take it pretty seriously that we're going to be, we're not going to be the people to acknowledge you in public. If you acknowledge us, I would say most therapists would be perfectly comfortable saying, hey, how's it going? What's new? Um, how's life? You know, I think right. we're capable of having those interactions, but we hedge on the side of not having those interactions. Right. So do they teach you that kind of stuff in school? And like, how did that start? Like, who figured out, like, these are the lines we can't cross and, and we're going to teach these to new therapists coming in? If if they do that. Yeah. Um, I can't speak to when this shift started, but it's interesting that this podcast, these events of this podcast happen in the eighties. I want to yeah. say, right. Yep. So at least yeah, it's the early eighties when, you know, I think, and Ike sort of makes this point at some point that like the sort of written ethics that we have today were not written at that time. Like the, mm. the things that, that we, the certain standards that we hold ourselves to today were not necessarily the standards back in the eighties. So do you, do you cut Ike a little slack because of that? Um, I, just a very small amount. <laughs> very, very small. Because, and, and we'll talk about all the ethical inter, intertwinings as we go, but, you know, whether the ethics were written down or not, for me, and this is to, to answer your other question, the, the responsibility of a therapist and doctors is to do no harm. So what we have over time developed is this, this emphasis on confidentiality. Now maybe we've gone too far, but I think it's again, important to hedge to the, the side of confidentiality and privacy. Sure. In the sense that, you know, if we run into a person in public, we want that person to at first be comfortable that their, uh, diagnosis, their relationship with us will not be um, broadcast, will not even be identified without them choosing to do so themselves. Mm. And they teach this in like school. Uh, yeah, more or less. Yeah, this all this falls under um, sort of confidentiality ethics that, you know, we want patients to feel comfortable establishing a trusting relationship with us. So part of that means, hey, in case we run into each other in public, just know mm -hmm. I probably won't, I, I almost definitely will not acknowledge you first but it's totally okay for you to acknowledge me and I'm happy to have a friendly interaction with you if you want. Right. And which is a, a reason why you can't just call and ask for information on someone. Like someone couldn't call and say, Hey Ryan, uh, my sister goes to you and I was going to ask you what she's been talking about. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's like the worst case scenario on the very small thing that we're talking about. For <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Yes. yeah. But, it, but even it gets into, um, modern problems that we have today that that uh marty and ike did not 
which is technology, right? I think a lot of therapists probably have started becoming more casual with things like texting patients Hmm. and having those sorts of lines of communication open. And what that does is if you establish that sort of casual relationship early on, it's very easy for a patient to use that in a casual way and not, not nothing that they've necessarily done wrong, but all of a sudden it can be this thing where it's like, um, Hey, um, you know, just had a fight with my mom. Can I tell you about it? And it's a therapist's responsibility to, at the outset, have a boundary on what is and what isn't okay for those types of interactions. Yeah. It's funny you said that because I actually had a texting therapist. Sure. I don't think I ever used it like that. Uh, It was almost always like she would be like, you're not here. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You're really setting a boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the only time, the only thing that she would communicate with me on that wasn't in person or the phone was if I emailed her, let's say um, a couple of times I was having, you know, crisis or whatever. And like I emailed her what was going on. And then that way she could respond when she saw it, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So it wasn't like this immediate thing for her, you know, like, right. Right. Stop what you're doing. Yeah. But so that's, that's the things that have changed is that, and and I think we we heard enough between Marty and Ike to know that they had a very uh, intimate relationship in a lot of sense, that there were things referenced where, um, you know, if Marty uh, had a blow up with his sister, he would immediately call Ike. Yeah. Um, but then Ike would bill him for that. So it's yes. like all this like twisted stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last, last thing I want to say before we go to the break was. Sure. Great. It really gets me. Uh, one of the things you find out is basically that that ike just gets himself into all of marty's money mm-hmm. and then it's things like that like you just said was like why did that phone call matter to him he already had everything else like why did it ma- why is he still billing him so uh, i was hoping after the break we could talk about like if they're like what's going on with ike like what do you see in a person that's acting like this yeah i think that's a great idea um we'll sort of break down as much as we can tell from Mike's perspective, why this is happening. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, Ryan. So I was really interested to know about Ike and uh, what kind of person he is. And if he was in your office and you found out that he had been taking advantage of someone like, like you are this psychiatrist therapist. And he told you that he literally had done this. Like what conclusion would you come to? Oh, man. Um, You know, that he's a... I mean, it's funny because Marty, at the end of the last episode, uses the word evil to describe Ike. Right. You know, in this this sense that uh, Ike sort of became this, like, parasite on Marty, that he uh, injected himself into Marty's life and just began gradually sucking the life and the money out of Marty. And he brought his family along. Yes, and brought his wife and his kids. And Marty started having relationships with all those people. And it's just super bizarre. You know, it's it's hard for me to... I, I would never, you know, offer a diagnosis or anything like that for, for someone like Ike. Um, because he's a real person. And we don't have enough of Ike's perspective on these stories to be able to say uh, what or why he's doing these things. But what I really... What I want to focus on, Mike, with this is... And this is something that's becoming, in some degrees, uh, 
more popular and thus more concerning, which is uh, therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists diversifying the ways in which they interact with patients, clients, people who are looking for their services. Hmm. So Ike acknowledges that he has his patients that he sees for therapy, and then he has business clients. Yeah. And he claims in some of the letters that he sends to Joe on the podcast that at some point they ended the therapeutic relationship that he had with Marty and that Marty transitioned into becoming a business client and that he was essentially a business advisor and right. that all the interactions that, that Ike had with Marty from a business perspective, the wills and the, you know, becoming a, the CEO or CFO of his company and running the charity, all these crazy things that Ike is claiming that these were all actions he took as a business advisor, that these were not things that he did as Marty's therapist. Which Marty adamantly denies and says yes. he was his psychiatrist up until he made him leave the house. Right. The suggestion um, by Ike that he sort of ended the therapeutic relationship when when Marty was told that was was sort of blown away that, our, that Ike said anything like that. Because as far as Marty recollected, the therapeutic relationship never ended. So uh, to, to get back to what I was saying, which is that, you know, in today's sort of entrepreneurial focused world, you go on Twitter, you see therapists offering um, coaching services, writing, writing books, you know, uh, doing things like executive coaching. Some some therapists who uh, specialize, you know, offer other types of services. So it's just really important that we not blow the lines in those services. And not only that, but it's really important that whatever relationship a therapist has that it stays and it's very clear that it's a therapeutic relationship and that if that relationship ends, ethically, we are not allowed to have a dual relationship with a client. So if you've seen them as a patient for, for therapy, you should not then transition into coaching them. You should not transition into being a business client. You should not transition into anything else. Your relationship with them should end, period. Yeah. So I don't know what you think about that. I mean, there's a lot of layers to how people can interact with their therapists, but... I, it's, it's a mixed bag. Like I was saying, it's just, it, for me, it's tough. I, you know, cause if from, I see therapists as people. Of course. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's a huge gray area. And this is such an extreme example yeah. in, in this, like, like you said, it's bizarre to mm -hmm. see what, what happened to Marty and I mean, because he went through more than we've even said. Oh yeah, big on, time on this yeah. show, just the whole time. But what I was wondering when you were talking was, and I want to reiterate that the podcast is is one sided. We hear Joe's perspective on Marty's life and Marty's perspective on Marty's life, and we get a little bit of writings that Joe had sent previously. So I immediately wondered, what if Ike had en ended the relationship? the therapeutic relationship and started a business relationship and, and thought it was like totally cool. Right. And even in the back in the eighties, there was no, nothing that would have said otherwise. Yeah. Right. Right. And then like Marty just never like got that message and mm -hmm. thought that their friendship talking in a friendship way, that was him still getting psych psychiatry. Right. Or therapized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, right. But this is the danger of, of the sort of dependence on a therapist, right? Is that, and I, and I can't make this clear enough. 
if you don't know that a relationship with a therapist has ended or transitioned into something else, it hasn't <laughs> because okay. it needs to be abundantly clear to this extent today that you need to sign even something saying, you know, um, you know, I understand my, my relationship is, is concluding today. If I need to reach out to the therapist, this is what I will do. Here's my, my discharge plan, basically. Huh. That's never happened to me because I always just disappear. Yeah, well, that's uh, the most common way that therapy ends. <laughs> but but ideally, if a therapy uh, therapeutic relationship uh, is is appropriately successful and does conclude, then that's what that would look like. Okay. Now I know you're really reserved on this because we talked about this beforehand. Like, I know it's not criminal. There's nothing criminal that Ike did during this period of time, but we know it's wrong. Should there be laws against stuff like this? Like if a therapist does something like this where they can be prosecuted? Oh, yeah, I, I certainly think so. Um, you know, even if it's just because it feels like fraud, right? Yeah, it, it feels like I'm not a legal expert. I'll, I'll bring my wife on to talk about this more. But but basically, we have a person who is manipulating someone to an extent that they are taking over their life. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like he's holding him hostage but in public. That's so weird. So it's 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 really hard. I mean, I so to answer your question, yes. I think this what what Ike did should be illegal and there should be a way to prosecute this sort of uh relationship, this manipulation. I don't know what right. we would call it exactly. Yeah. You know, obviously just malpractice. And that's where therapeutic we, puppeteering. Well, therapeutic malpractice. I mean, there's there are malpractice <laughs> uh, laws, but it's not criminal. It wouldn't be a criminal yeah. offense. He would have his license suspended or expunged, and he wouldn't be allowed to practice anymore. But he would be able to walk free, and and maybe that's okay. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, because we can look at we can look at Ike and say, like, it, let's say there was a law and there was gray areas. I don't think there's a gray area with Ike because right. Marty's not the only instance of him. For example, pushing the family members out of other people's lives. There right. was uh, several women who came on and said, yeah, he was my, you know, my psychiatrist in the 80s. And he basically told me to push my mom out of my life. And then a couple other people said the same thing. So it's like this guy was like, this is what he did. This is how he operated. Yeah. So it's it's creepy. It's weird. It's, <laughs> it's super problematic. We can't get over it. Um <laughs> But and and maybe we should also emphasize that even if there's not like a criminal something that could be done here in you know the the court of public opinion in the in uh, like small claims court, um, Marty would have a pretty good case, I think. Oh sure. Yeah. So so it's not that nothing can be done. And even in the interviews with Marty towards the end, all Marty is really looking for is for Ike to lose his license. Yeah. He basically doesn't want Ike to be able to do this to anybody else, which I think is right. a very appropriate desire based on Marty's experience. Yeah. And what I was going to ask is like, what do you think long-term effects of this are on Marty and also his sister? Both I'm interested in figuring out like what's going on with them long-term because his sister, a lot of damage there from not having her brother for 30 years. Well, yeah, it's funny. If we were to do some overanalyzing, it's kind of like a thing where if Ike was this weird, like secret genius therapist trying to to get Marty to stand up for himself by getting Marty to stand up to him, but just did it over the course of 30 years. <laughs> okay. Because I think in the end, 
Marty says he's the happiest he's ever been and he's oh running his business incredibly and he has an amazing relationship with his sister. So that assuredly was not the goal that Ike was trying to accomplish. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow Ike just knew. But this he did. But that's years. what happened. Right. So Marty, Marty at the end of this podcast is, is happy and feels good for what he has done to, to get out from the control of Ike. And he has established a strong relationship again with his sister and her family and he's, as far as we can tell, pretty happy, other than the fact that he hasn't achieved his goal of getting Ike to, to give up his license yet. Well, what I saw was that Marty was like just a totally codependent person. He, he needed to hang on to Ike, but now Ike is suddenly gone. I don't know. Just feels like a rug being pulled out from under you and like you wouldn't be. I don't know. You just wouldn't. It would be hard to stand back up for Marty. But you're right. He does end up looking happy or saying that he's happy, at least. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's all we can do is take him for his word, right? In the the sort of last episode, it's either the last or the second last episode of this podcast, we see the the reunification between um, Marty and his sister. And the sort of initial attempts that Marty makes to reconnect with her after he's distanced himself from Ike, she, I think, pretty funnily thinks that he's just calling for like a kidney or for money yeah. <laughs> that why, why else would he be reaching out to her after 30 years? I thought he needed some of my body parts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is great. Hilarious. And, and to the extent that she is very receptive to him reaching back out to her after everything he did to cut her out of his life is pretty incredible on her part. It's sad to me. Okay. So, so say more about that. Because, because she just wanted him in her life so bad that as soon as he called, she was right there for him. It'd been 30 years. They're in their sixties. Yep. And it's, it's like, that makes me sad that that's how, she loves her brother so much that it only took one phone call after 30 years of being ignored. Yeah. They lived a, like a block from each other. Right. So that's, it was just a little sad for me. I felt, I felt pretty. Oh, it totally is sad yeah. for, for both of them that they missed out on this. What's objectively like the closest relationship they have as family members um, that they missed out on that for such a long time because of Marty's therapist. Um, super sad. But, you know, I think the fact that they were able to reunite and to have this really positive relationship. And now, you know, you read the sort of after stuff and they're traveling the world together. And he's again, like a, a model uncle to her kids. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a reminder, I think that whatever doesn't go well in, in a therapeutic relationship that can be undone as well. So Mike, you've, you've mentioned having bad relationships with therapists yep, and I guess just one, but yeah, with a therapist sure. and a I long term anyway. Right. I think a lot of times if people have that one bad experience, not, not, not whether it's like yours or in worst case scenario, like Marty's, that that would kind of turn them off to therapy understandably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. But I think it's important that we're able to separate out what therapy experiences have been for us. Let's say that one bad experience or even multiple bad experiences and what therapy could be or even should be. And in being able to to kind of look at that situation as an isolated incident and say, okay, that therapy experience didn't go well, but I'm going to put that on that therapist and let oh, me now sure. get a second opinion and see if this is something that can really be helpful for me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I had that bad experience with the one therapist, you know, we'd saw each other's the, the longest I'd ever seen a therapist too, which is 
funnily enough. But then I did have a really bad experience with a psychiatrist. But it's just like you said, like I call, my wife was there with me. Like we called it out of the cage. Uh, we walked out of her office like mid, mid, uh, oh gosh, what is it called? Intake or whatever. Sure. And, uh, but that right away, you know, it was just like, that was her, you know, that's not psychiatry. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad obviously to see that Marty and his sister are able to reunite and able to have that relationship, even if it is sad that they lost it for so long. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for the shrink next door. Hopefully you guys uh, got a little bit about that, about ethics and uh, therapy in general, but we do have to get onto our ratings. And if you haven't listened to the show before every week, Ryan and I rate on a scale of one to five, Ryan rates for accuracy and I rate for, uh, it's the critic scale, I guess. And what are you looking at, Ryan? So Mike, out of five Hamptons, yep. because I'm just enamored by the Hamptons. I mean, gosh, I, I, all I want is all of our listeners to know that this is not what therapy looks like, <laughs> yes. but obviously this is a true story. So yeah. what I will say is that this did happen to someone and has happened to people so to that extent, it is accurate. However, please don't take this, this story as, uh, as normal or as even anything that you should remotely expect from your own therapist. Right. So I don't know what that means in terms of my rating out of well, five it's Hamptons. So, it's a yeah. mil- like it's one in a million this would ever happen. So it's so, like right. so, so unrealistic. So I'm just going to say a zero out of five Hamptons. Um, <laughs> this is the worst case scenario with a therapist, but... We, we are seeing now that he is, that therapist is paying for his misdeeds, and we can hope that nothing like this will ever happen to anyone ever again. Yeah, and we can even say thanks to Joe and Sarah for bringing it out in the public, because it, sure. it, it, it seals in the deal, you know, like, people aren't going to, you know, live with this anymore right. or handle it uh, these days. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to rate this um, on a scale of uh, one to five familias. Um, because I had a, Ike had a thing called the familia, and if you were in the familia, you were in the inner circle, and apparently it was like some of his patients. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna say I thought it was really, really good. I mean, it's hard not to call a, co- a podcast this this good a five, right? It's riveting. It's hard to ignore that. It's it's a fascinating yeah. story. You were hooked. It's short, which is nice. It's, right. You know... So you get like seven, six or seven episodes. They're not that long. Uh, so it's a re- it's just really, g- it's a good one. I'm going to call it a five though, because uh, whoever did the audio is amazing. Ah. They, they, man, that audio is weaving in and out. I loved it. So mm-hmm. five out of five. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here for the day. Don't forget to stick around for Ryan's closing thoughts. First, though, I do want to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music we use on the show. If you want to find Kevin and his royalty-free music, just go to filmmusic.io. And now for some closing thoughts on the podcast series, The Shrink Next Door. It's safe to say a lot of unethical and inappropriate behavior took place over the course of this story, but this therapeutic relationship should not be considered typical. Yes, therapists can have incredible impacts, both good and bad, on their patients, but what Ike did to Marty is incredibly rare in this day and age, and hopefully should be thought of more as a product of a pre-ethics era in psychotherapy. If you feel like you or someone you know is being manipulated or taken advantage of by a therapist, you are under no obligation to remain in treatment with that person. Protect yourself first and seek a second opinion whenever necessary. 
Finally, it's important to establish good boundaries with a therapist from the beginning. You should know what to expect in terms of methods of communication, length of treatment, treatment approach or philosophy, and discharge or termination plan. Feel free to be assertive and request this information if your therapist doesn't disclose it on their own. Your treatment is just that, your treatment, and you are entitled to whatever information you need to feel comfortable about the working relationship. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych 101 We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych 101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Ingolstadt. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.